Our reading from God's Word this morning is taken from Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. It's page 1043 in your pew Bibles. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For those of you who uh, might be listening to the lesson this morning and during it be thinking now, is this worth coming back to hear this guy tonight? Um, I want you to know that the lesson tonight, I have saved the best of the two lessons I have for you today till tonight. That's the best one. And matter of fact, it's going to be so good I can hardly wait to hear what I'm going to say. And... Uh, I have a very, uh, to me, very exciting uh, uh, announcement to make this morning, and I hope it'll be exciting to you as well. I, I hope that all of you are aware of the, uh, the commitment that the Mount Juliet Church has made to uh, con- taking the gospel to South Sudan and the conversion of that country, and of our uh, efforts to build a uh, preacher training school in South Sudan, believing that's the most effective and efficient way to evangelize the country is to train the native preachers. Griff and I will be going there in a couple of weeks to, to get that started. Now, if we are successful in that, uh, one of the things that we need to do is to uh, uh, open some doors, find ways to open doors for the preachers that we train in those churches. In Africa, uh, often this is done by uh, doing something that's really a, a good thing that those people really need to have. And in Africa, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but 70% of the illness in Africa is caused by the drinking water. And in South Sudan, where this preacher training school will be located and will be working, there are hundreds of wells that the pumps were destroyed during the Civil War. And those people, those people have no, uh, no water except whatever they can get from the closest river or a closest pond. That's what they have to drink. Now here in Nashville, Healing Hands International engages in the, the procurement of funds for humanitarian projects to assist churches of Christ throughout the, the world. And Friday, they announced that a donor has agreed to fund the purchase of a truck that is outfitted for the refurbishment of at least 200 wells in South Sudan. And that this truck can then be converted into a support truck for a a, a drilling rig as well to drill uh, wells in areas where there is no water at all. In addition to that, this donor, or they have agreed, uh, they find the funds that um, they will procure the crew to do the drilling and to fund the payment of the crew as well. And something that you might understand more clearly, 
that uh, that is a, a gift of in the vicinity of $250,000 uh, to our work in Sudan, which means now that there will be 200 places in South Sudan that the people now do not have clean drinking water, that now they can have and will soon have clean, pure drinking water, and that they will know that the Church of Christ provided that water for them. And that will open up doors immediately for the establishment of churches in all of those areas because they will be very receptive to that. And this, of course, points out the critical need for our establishing this preacher's training school and to be able to furnish preachers for those churches uh, that, um, that is going to be available to us to establish in those areas. And both doors, as you came in this morning, was a newsletter called the Sudan Project. And this is uh, our last newsletter. I hope you'll take a copy of that. And if you would like to have a uh, copy of that each month that comes out, if you will let us know, we'll put you on our mailing list or even can send it to you by email as well. You know that when Jesus was crucified, that you know his followers had to feel defeated. They had uh, given Jesus three years of their life. They had uh, left their homes for long periods of times, and they had left their occupations and followed him. And now he was dead. But very quickly, that uh, defeat ended when Jesus came back to life after three days. And when those disciples saw him alive, the word that the New Testament says that they used to naturally describe what they saw that came from their lips was the word Lord. One of the apostles was named Thomas. Thomas was not there when immediately when the other apostles and disciples saw Jesus come back from the dead, saw him alive, and when he was told that Jesus was alive, he said that I, unless I can put my see the, the nail holes in his hands, unless I can touch those with my fingers, unless I can see the hole in his side, and unless I can touch that with my hands, then I will not believe. And about a week later, they were in a room. Thomas was there, and Jesus suddenly appeared. And Jesus touched the nail prints in his hands, and, and Thomas saw the hole in Jesus' side, and in John the 20th chapter in verse 24 through 29, he rec this is recorded in verse 28, what he immediately said was, my Lord and my God. Jesus is called Lord in the New Testament 747 times. This morning we took the time to go through and question everybody in the audience here. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? I'm sure that most of us could easily say yes to that. But we also ask each individual, is he Lord of all that you are and all that you have? We might have a very disturbing and revealing morning. We sing the song that has a sentence in it, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. But I'm afraid that not all of us are willing to crown him with our lips, are willing to make him the Lord of our lives. And I'm afraid that Lord 
is one of the most lifeless words in the Christian vocabulary. I, I know that a lot of you would be envious to, to know this, that, um, but I have been very fortunate in my life. I was born and reared in Arkansas. And I, one of my earliest memories for several years of my life was the fact that um, my folks were sharecroppers. Now, a sharecropper in Arkansas meant that there was a landlord that owned some land, and he, you made an arrangement with him, and he would allow you to live in one of his houses and have a barn for your mules, and he would give you a team of mules to plow with, and then he would allow you to have a plow and a cultivator, it would give you the seed to make a crop with, and you were expected then to make a crop with that, and at the end of the year you harvested the crop and you gave him half of everything that you made and everything that you harvested. That may be the closest thing in the United States that we know of, of kings and of lords, but to be a lord means that... Um, It means to have power or authority. It describes one who is in control. It describes a person who has the final authority, someone that you do not argue with. It was a title for men of importance, given lots of times to men who had uh, uh, slaves. Now notice how the New Testament uses this word. It is used quite often... In Acts, the second chapter, Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon ever. And in verse 36, he comes down to the conclusion of it, and he says, So all the people of Israel should know this truly. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. In Romans, the 14th chapter, in verse 8, Paul is emphasizing that we belong to Christ. And he says, If we live... We are living for the Lord, and if we die, we are dying for the Lord. So living or dying, we belong to the Lord. In Acts the fifth chapter in verse four, Luke is recounting how the church is growing. And he says that many people were added to the Lord and became part of him. In Acts the twenty second chapter in verse ten, Paul is telling the story of his conversion. And he says that he was almost to the, to the city of Damascus and suddenly there was a, a, a strong light that shined down on him. And he said immediately, Who is it, Lord? And he, there was a voice that says, It is Jesus whom you persecute. And then he says this, What shall I do, Lord? Paul understood Jesus' authority right away. Now the problem with all of this is that no one of us today likes to be under someone else. We have studied about kings and lords of Europe and we don't like what we have read about them and what we have seen in movies. And Americans, we are very independent. To us, part of patriotism is to not have any kings or lords over us and wars have been in have been fought for it. That attitude is further compounded today with us because in our democratic society, each person has the right to make his own decision politically. 
And each one of us has a vote that we can make and we can choose who will serve us in government. And in those political offices, even we can remove the people in them if the work that they're doing is not going as, as we please. And all the political offices in our democratic society and culture are ruled by the people. And then it is hard for us to comprehend. Hard for us to comprehend what Lord or King is and how to be sympathetic to the concept. But then there's a carryover to religion also. That therefore in religion people expect to choose what they will accept and reject of the Bible. And they expect to define their own rules. And so the concept of Lord is at the crux of many problems in our society and in religion as well. Now that Jesus says that the being Lord and that the confession that he is Lord was the confession of New Testament Christians. In Romans the ninth chapter, 10th chapter in verse 9, Paul wrote that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus frequently made his lordship the central issue with unbelievers. And Lord, by definition with him, presupposes obedience then. In Matthew the seventh chapter in verse 21, Jesus challenged bogus professors when he said that not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to be saved, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. They called him Lord, but they did not know him. Now, after New Testament times, after the time in which the New Testament was written, church historians tell us that Christians understood that Jesus was Lord. They lived in a time and in an age in which the Roman Empire controlled most of the, of the civilized world. And the Roman emperors of that time claimed to be gods. They even had temples built for worshiping them. Finally, it grew so that Caesar worship was then forced on everyone. And once a year, every citizen of the Roman Empire had to go to the Caesar temple and burn a pinch of incense to the emperor. And then he had to say that Caesar is Lord. He would then receive a certificate, and that was his test of citizenship, loyalty to the empire. And afterward, as far as the government was concerned, then he could go any place he wanted to and worship any god that he wanted to. But the Christians of that time would not worship Caesar. Jesus was the one and only Lord and there was nothing that could make them say that Caesar is Lord. And as a result of it, many Christians died on crosses and they were ripped apart by animals in arenas and they died cruelly on the rack. But Lord was a word for which they were willing to lay down their lives. And Jesus Christ is Lord was and is a supreme statement of faith for Christians. In the New Testament, when you became a Christian, it meant that there was a break with the world and with the flesh and with the devil. 
And the church grew after this period of time as pagans flocked into it and they lightheartedly brought with them their idols and their sins. And the church lowered its standards for popularity and to accommodate the influx of these pagans. But the church never recovered from the mistake. And people came in and they were serving two lords, God and the world. And the churches became filled with baptized pagans who were living double lives. They were fearing God on one hand but serving their own gods on the other hand. They were drawing near to God with their mouths but their hearts were far from him. They were calling him Lord, Lord, but they were not doing what he says. Now Jesus says that he has the only right of authority today. And he is the only one that has that right right of authority. The Bible says that Jesus is the creator of all things. And as the creator of us and all things, he has the natural right of authority over these things. The creator always has authority over that which he created. And not only that, but he is the redeemer. I may throw this thing away in a little bit. He is the redeemer of all those people that are saved. Acts 20 and 28 says that he has purchased with his blood on the cross of Calvary the right for all all Christians that they belong to him. And then the Bible says that he is the head of the church. The head is the person who makes the rules and who governs. And we understand that. Jesus says also that he has the power to answer prayer. If we want our prayers to be answered, we have to go through Jesus Christ as Lord. And it is through him that we approach God. If we want to get to God, we have to go through Jesus Christ. It is through him, the Bible says, that we have eternal life. If we want eternal life, we have to go through Jesus Christ to get it. And it is through him, the Bible says, that we have the forgiveness of sins. If we want the forgiveness of sins, we have to go through Jesus Christ to get it. Therefore, because of all of those things, he has the right to be Lord. Now what does lordship then mean to us? Lordship means to us that we surrender to his will and we do not insist on our own will. There's not a one of us in this audience this morning that had any control over where we were born. We had no control over when we were born. We had no control over how tall we're going to be, what color we're going to be, or what we're going to look like. And the only thing that we possess today that we have any control over is our will. And the bottom line of that means that lordship has to do with our will and that we surrender to Jesus Christ when we become Christians. We give up our way for his way. And that means that we go where he wants us to go. We do what he wants us to do. We be what he wants us to be and we give up what he wants us to give up. And you keep on going. He bought us. We belong to him. He he bought us and paid a price for us. We are his and therefore he is Lord. And the raising of Jesus from the death and from the grave just proves that he is Lord because only a Lord could rise from the dead after three days. 
And so when he says, follow me, that makes sense now because he's Lord. And when he says, if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. We lose our life by giving it to him. And then he says, we gain it by losing it because we lose it to him. He gives us a new life and that is the one that we have as Christians. Jesus, therefore, has the right to control every part, every parcel of the believer's life. Jesus, because he's Lord, has the right to control the faith of the believer and the believer's attitudes and the believer's behavior and the believer's relationship. It also means that he is the Lord of Lords. First Timothy 6 and verse 15, Paul refers to him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Revelation 17, in verse 14, there's a scene that is described. And it says, they will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And that is a good thing because there is no element of oppression or humiliation in submitting to Jesus as Lord. It is not a lordship we accept of frustration, but freedom of growth and of happiness and fulfillment. Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus speaks to the Christian life as being a yoke and a burden. Usually yokes and burdens are something heavy and burdensome to us. But he says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is a relationship of love. In a world, lordship is a relationship of repression and being taken advantage of. But Jesus says, if you love me, then you will obey me. It's a relationship of love. Our then... Accepting the Lordship of Jesus is following the path of his Lordship, accepting the Lordship of God. And he is our example in this. He explains in these verses how that God had authority over him. In John 4, verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We can take that, our food, with Jesus as our Lord, is to do his will and to finish his work. John 5 and verse 30, Jesus says, For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. As Christians, we seek not to please ourselves, but we seek to please him who has saved us. In John the 6th chapter, in verse 38, Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We are here not to do our will. We are here to do the will of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 26 and verse 39, he prayed just before he was crucified when he asked God, let this suffering pass from me. But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. There are going to be lots of hard problems that come to Christians, but our prayer ultimately is the same as Jesus. We would like to have these problems removed from us, but not as we will, but as you will. Lordship, therefore, is not really taught sufficiently today. And the consequence of this, a lot of people are baptized, but they've only, they have only joined a church. And they have not been convicted to yield their lives. There are examples in many religious communities today of those even 
who are unwilling to submit to the word of God. There's so many liberal churches in our community, so they'll not even believe all of the Bible. And what part they do understand, they're not always willing to, to follow it and accept it. And sometimes their leaders get together and they vote on whether they're going to follow that which the Bible teaches. There's a big megachurch in one of the northern cities that before they started, they sent people out door to door to do surveys. And the survey question was, if you were to be, go to a church and attend a church, what would you like it to be like? And they got all the survey responses of what they would like a church to be like, and then they established one, one of the fastest-growing churches in the United States. But that's how it was established. And people, therefore, in these churches can do anything they please. They can do anything they want to. They're allowed to set their own rules. And Jesus, I submit to you, is not Lord over those people or over those churches. When Jesus is the Lord... The church and the Christians are at the disposal of God. He is in control of all of our plans. We desire to know what He wants. We do not ask to just rubber stamp what, he, what we've already decided. Then the Bible says that Jesus asks us to take up our cross daily in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Accepting Jesus as Lord <clears throat> is not like being baptized. We're baptized once for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's it. But in accepting the Lordship of Jesus, we're constantly facing new decisions. Every day there's a battle with the flesh and with the world and with the devil. And we have to decide every day, is Jesus going to be Lord over my life today? The definitive test is of whether a person belongs to Jesus then is the willingness to bow to his authority. And when Jesus then has been accepted as authority, as, as Savior, he has been accepted as Savior by some of us, but not as Lord. Some of us have made the confession that Jesus is Lord in order to be saved, in order to be baptized but not at all concerned about making the Lord of our lives. We need to understand, folks, that salvation is not a salad bar or a cafeteria line in which we go through and we pick and we choose what the teachings of the Bible we want to accept and sometimes take him as Savior <coughs> and then pass up his Lordship. Jesus is Lord. We have two options. We can either receive him or we can reject him. If we receive him, our options end. We're no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. We belong to him. And sometimes foolishly people say, as I've heard them say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to give. Well, no human being has the right to it. But if Jesus is your Lord, he has every right to tell you what to do and what to give as he does me. And the person who says that doesn't follow Jesus. He's not Lord to him. Our attitude ought to be that I will take, Lord, whatever you offer me on your gracious terms. I will not let anyone or anything come between you and me. You are the Lord of my life. Sometimes when we're passing a, stay, a, a store or, a, or a, a restaurant, we see a sign in the window that says, Under New Management. Well, when we become a Christian, we're under new management. 
And that says we belong to Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. We might even compare lordship to driving our car. You know, normally whenever you drive a car, you go wherever you want to. But when Jesus becomes Lord and you name him as Lord and you become a Christian, you move over to the passenger side and you let Jesus drive and you go where he wants you to go. And folks, do you realize that that answers all religious controversial questions as well? Because when there is a religious controversial question, you just say, what does the Lord want us to do? And you read his word and find out and you go and do it and that answers it. That settles it all. The Lordship of Jesus then will be the ultimate confession that we make. In Philippians, the second chapter, in verse 9 through 11, to read it again. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on an earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God does not ask, will we do it? He simply asks, when are you going to do it? Are you going to do it now, or are you going to do it later? Now we can live for him, and if we make that confession beyond the grave, then it is too late. And so then, we need to really deal with this question. Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your body? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your thoughts? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your tongue? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your temper? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your spare time? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of all of your plans? Is he the Lord of your pocketbook? Is he the Lord of your Christian life? Is he the Lord of your recreation? Is Jesus the Lord of what you listen to on the radio? Is he the Lord of what you watch on television? Is he the Lord of what you eat? Is he the Lord of what you drink? Is he the Lord of your outlook on world problems? If Jesus Christ is the Lord of all of you, not just part of you, then everything in your life, you must say, is Jesus the Lord of this. In Acts 10 and verse 36, when Cornelius was in his household, was listening to the sermon of of Peter, Peter said to them that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He's not a Lord of bondage for us but is the lordship of liberty in which we're free to do everything that is good and right. So are there unsurrendered areas in our lives? Are there areas in our lives in which we've resisted his rule? Folks, that causes lots of spiritual problems. What happens then when we give ourselves to him? I suggest to you then we lose only the things that we're better off without. Lordship brings freedom. It does not bring frustration. Lordship gives us peace and hope and joy because Jesus is the sweetest Lord of all. (coughs) He is the gentle master and leader of our lives. And we can follow him wherever he wants to go with confidence that we're knowing that that is the best thing that can happen to him. And so we cherish his work his word and we cherish and study his Bible to know his will. 
we accept him as the authority for all of life. And if we want to do that, the very first thing we have to do is obey him because he can't be our Lord and then we ignore what he says to us. And we do that by becoming a Christian. And he says to us, becoming a Christian, you repent of your sins. You confess with words from your heart that I am the Lord. And then you're baptized and you live the way I want you to live. And this morning, if you want to be, have Jesus as your Lord, then it is a decision you need to make quickly and you need to make it right now. And Jesus can be your Lord and you can be saved before you walk out of this building this morning if you'll do it right now while we stand and sing.